0: Welcome to BlitzCast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt.
1: Welcome to another episode of BlitzCast, and let's start with college football news, Ed. Obviously, the MAC, the Mountain West Conference, the Big Ten Conference, the Pac-12 have all canceled their fall football season and they're hoping to play in the spring i mean that's basically what the commissioners have come out and and said we we don't know if we'll have spring season for those four conferences but it's a wait and see but sec acc and the big 12 have all come out and said we're playing the season we're going forward nothing has changed what do you think about this? What do you think about this divide that is is being created in the NCAA?
0: Well, I I was kind of hoping to see like a tournament of the Power 5 conferences, you know. I I just think I just think there's so much, you know, riding on these conferences. I mean, so many people love watching these teams and I mean, it's just you know, just as a college football fan, it's it's nice to know that at least like three big conferences we're gonna get. You know, we're gonna get SEC football, and we're gonna get a really good look this year at SEC football. And then you know, we're gonna get to see the the Big Twelve, and we're gonna see the ACC. So we're gonna see Clemson play this year. So I, I think I, I think it's so it's still gonna be you know enough that we can stay entertained this this fall. So. Um, I, I'm actually, I actually take it as positive news. I mean, I understand there could be an outbreak and so forth, and but I, I, at this point, at this point, I'm kind of just excited we're going to get a little college football.
1: Well, I'm not surprised that the Pac-12 canceled its season because California has been hit pretty hard recently, but Florida has also been hit pretty hard out there, and that that's really surprising because few ACC teams, SEC teams, are from there as well. And that's kind of interesting that they're moving forward. It's it's all about money. Money talks and, and those conferences are deciding to play. But I don't think we'll have a college football playoff, Ed. I don't think we'll have a bowl season just because most of those conferences are going to play games within that conference, the 10 games or maybe the extra game. I just don't see that. I don't see that there's going to be a championship at the end of this whole thing. And even if the three conferences play or two conferences or one conference play, I don't think we'll have any postseason bids. But to me, the NCAA is a dysfunctioning body right now. It's kinda of stuck in the middle ages, in my opinion. They need to go and kinda of unite these conferences a little bit. I, I realize that they're by it seems like they're by itself right now. It seems like Mark Emirant and and the whole NCAA is just kinda of on the on the back end, a little bit of this whole thing, and that what bothers—that's what bothers me. There's no unity. There's no leadership. There's no accountability, and it's like all the conferences are for themselves right now. And I, I, I think they're a bit lost. They want to play, but it's just there's a lot of confusion going on in, in college football.
0: I, I like this. I mean, I, I'd say, I'd say, you know, I like give the give the local schools their autonomy. If they don't want to play, don't make them play. And I mean, you know, just at the conference level, you know, these conferences can can basically decide, you know, do they want to do they want to survive or do they want to, you know, I mean, to be totally honest with you, I think going forward, I mean, this is gonna this is gonna help the ACC SEC not that the SEC needs any more help but the big the big 12 and the ACC are gonna grow from this you know what I'm saying more teams are gonna want to be part of the ACC and you know maybe if Notre Dame joins the ACC I mean this could be this could be a real growth of this conference and you know what it, it, it'd be good to see it'd be good to see them uh, you know because the big 10 has always kind of been number two and maybe you know maybe we'll see a new number two.
1: Well, also, it's going to help these conferences from the standpoint of the transfer portal. A lot of the smaller schools, from a lot of guys from the FCS are are going to transfer to ACC and Big 12 country. And we might see some of these other conferences like the Mountain West Conference and, and the MAC, some players transferring to those uh, conferences as well so they can play in the fall, so they can prepare for the NFL draft. I want to see what happens, though. I mean, if some of these conferences are going to push the season to the spring, what's going to happen with the NFL season? Are they going to push back the NFL draft? Are they going to push back the Senior Bowl? Are they going to push back the Scouting Combine? There have been rumors that they will. Um, Obviously, it's, it's a tight time frame because you've got free agency, because you've got, hopefully, normal training camps next summer. Um, But that's what I want to see because obviously it seems like the college football season is going to be split into halves. Uh, We're going to see one half in the fall with the conferences that are going forward and then in the spring, some other conferences are going to come back and play. So it's going to be interesting to to see how that works out. We've got some NFL news and two of the best tight ends in the game have signed. Uh, George Kittle signed a five-year, $75 million deal, obviously with the 49ers. Uh, He played in the Super Bowl. And another Super Bowl tight end, a Super Bowl winning tight end, Travis Kelsey, signed a four-year extension for over $57 million. Uh, What what do you think about this? I mean, the tight ends are getting paid enormous money out there. I'm not sure how the Chiefs are are gonna balance their books. I'm not sure how the Chiefs are gonna build a competitive roster because it seems like they they have given huge salaries to their top four players out there.
0: Well I mean just going just going with the Chiefs first. I mean I You guys like Patrick Mahomes, you gotta pay him. You know, it's just a guy like Patrick Mahomes, you gotta pay a guy like him because he changes your team. He's the reason you won a Super Bowl. I mean, Travis Kelsey. I mean, you get you got to get him some weapons, and Travis Kelsey is a key integral part of that offense. And to be honest with you, I mean, you got Tyreek Hill as a receiving option, but really, I mean, if 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 you want to say who their number one target is, you know, who their, I mean, you look at a lot of Super Bowl teams, they have their number one target, and I think that guy is actually. Travis Kelsey for the Kansas City Chiefs you know not every team has a go-to receiver I mean they do have Tyreek Hill uh, like I said but it's not it's their go-to guy is Travis Kelsey in that offense so I I would I I am all I'm all for paying you know your star players and keeping them around and you know keeping them as the core of the team because you know he's he's been around for a while he's been very productive and he's had a great career so you know you got to keep your good players and so I, I fully support the move. As far as George Kittle, I mean, I, I I love George Kittle. I mean, I think he might be the best tight end in football. I mean, when you just consider, yes, he's a great receiving option, and we didn't know he was going to be this great of a receiving option, but he really is. But I'll tell you, he he has that tough, old school, you know, sort of tough mentality. You know, Iowa football. Uh, you know physicality, and I love that he can block. So I mean, he you know he puts his body on the line for your team in the blocking game, in the run blocking game, and he also can he also can be a matchup nightmare in the offense. So you know what, a guy like George Kittle, you know, pay him. He's gonna he's gonna be he's gonna be a centerpiece of your offense. You need to get weapons on your offense. Jimmy G can't do it all by himself. I love I love the two moves two two great moves by both teams
1: I'm glad you mentioned that George Kittle was the best tight end in the game it makes my uh, uh it makes my heart warm <laughs> up inside it's just uh, we need a we need a number one weapon out there because obviously uh, Debo Samuel is down right now a rookie who had a good year I mean George Kittle was an integral part of that offense of what Now kyle shanahan is trying to do hard knocks ed hard knocks the first episode um you and i saw it firsthand what are your overall impressions uh did obviously the hard knocks are featuring two nfl teams this year that has never been done before i mean they've featured the the browns the the cowboys the dolphins in previous years This year they decided to focus on the Los Angeles Rams and the LA Chargers. What did you think of the first episode? I mean, did you like it?
0: Yeah, I, I, I definitely thought it was a good episode. I mean, I, I love the idea of hard knocks. I mean, I know the teams hate it because, you know, they want the privacy in training camp and so forth, and they don't want all the distraction of it. I mean, it hurts the team. But I mean, from from a fan perspective, I mean, it's a great look into, you know, what, a, what, what the operation of a football team is like, you know, what the emotions are and so forth. And I mean, it, it, yeah, I, I I credit HBO with coming up with, uh, you know, I, I I'll say, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big HBO watcher, but I I do pay the fee to have HBO, and the reason why I pay the fee to have HBO is basically, uh, you know, to, to 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 get Hard Knocks. I mean, that's that's how good the show is. Um, you know, I, I mean, I mean, you know, <laughs> HBO is not paying me to say that, but I mean, that's that's kind of the truth for me, but. Um, Yeah, I mean, I just... I I, I, I thought, you know, with the coronavirus, I mean, that they really got... they They really showed the changes, you know, in an NFL locker room that happened because of the coronavirus, how these guys are just constantly tested. And it was kind of interesting to see these big star football players, you know, who usually are always kind of in the glitz and glam, you know, being sort of given medical tests. I mean, it was almost pretty much pretty invasive. I mean, I almost have to feel for some of the guys you know that they were that they were putting in there um but uh you know I I thought I thought it was good you know I mean they talked about you know some relevant issues I mean I think everyone's I well I don't think everyone but I think you know a side storyline that maybe more the political media wants to know is you know are these players going to kneel how do players feel about it and uh I thought it was interesting to see that there's you know there's a there's a difference of opinion you know within these locker rooms and you know, some, some are more for kneeling and some some see it as something different. And uh, so, I mean, you know, it, it, seem, it seems like maybe, you know, it seems like probably the kneeling is probably something that's going to happen this year with a lot of teams. I mean, it seems like if there's a majority, it's the majority want to kneel um, at this point. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought there were some good storylines
1: yeah we're we're basically learning the new rules of the world that we've never seen before and how it's affecting football players and what they think about it i'm talking about covid 19 anthony lynn the the chargers head coach i mean he shared his story about being infected and his players listened to that sean mcavey i mean was showing the human side and in trying to figure out when to wear and when not to wear a mask i mean he really struggled with that and both both of the head coaches were trying to educate their players about being smart away from the facility so I think it's really important I mean you have to stay together and unfortunately I mean you have to be in that in, bub- in that bubble as much as you can I love Jalen Ramsey and, and how he showed his his side to the media I mean when they peppered him with questions about a contract extension i mean what else do you expect them to say i mean they're they're trying to find out whether he wants to get paid i mean obviously he wants to get paid but he doesn't want to answer those questions and i just thought that the media was just being a little bit out of hand i mean he told him like three times before he blew up and and walked out of the room and then he went back in there so jalen ramsey showed some of that fire that that makes him, you know, the one of the best corners in the league. And your boy, Ed, Justin Herbert. I mean, coaches and teammates were praising him. He, he did very well in that accuracy gauntlet. Obviously, it doesn't mean much. You don't have the pass rush. You don't have the pads on. But it was nice to see Justin Herbert being very accurate on the football field early on in um, episode number one. Yeah, it
0: was kind of cool for me, you know, seeing him with the Chargers. Just because I, I, I kind of have a story when I was in Mobile. I mean, we did the show from Mobile and, uh, you know, I was sitting in one of the coffee shops sort of in downtown Mobile and there was a Charger scout and he and I started talking and I asked him, you know, I said, I said, are you guys thinking about, you know, drafting Justin Herbert? And I could kind of connect the dots and, uh, you know, he gave me the whole, you know, scout speech of oh you know we draft best player available if he's the best player available we'll draft him but we we we're not looking for position we're looking for talent and you know just just you know just stuff like that so um but I mean to 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 kind of see how it, it kind of unfolded where you know they actually ended up pulling the trigger on him getting him out right and um you know now now he's you know now he's he's moved a little south and I think he's uh I I think he's going to have a good NFL career. I, I really I really think highly of Justin Herbert. He was the MVP of the Senior Bowl. I think he's played all four years. You know he loves football, and I think I think this is going to be a great move for the Chargers.
1: Well, he's replacing a legend. I mean Philip Rivers was there for for so long with San Diego, and when they moved to Los Angeles, Philip Rivers obviously has moved on to to join the Indianapolis Colts for a year. Justin Herbert has some big shoes to fill but obviously Tom Telesco and Anthony Lynn. um, I mean they're not saying that Justin Herbert is going to be the starting quarterback out of the gate and that might not be the case especially with Tyrod Taylor in there. We saw that Tyrod was the starting quarterback before Baker Mayfield took over with the Browns so it might be the same thing. I mean if if they start losing some games, I mean, they'll put Herbert in, you know, after that first month, uh, possibly, and we'll we'll see what he can do. I'm not sure he's going to be the starting quarterback out of the gate. Uh, I just think Anthony Lynn f- feels more comfortable with the guy like Tyrod Taylor in the beginning, but Justin Herbert is certainly the future of that franchise because he was picked sixth overall. Speaking of television, and uh, moving on from you know, the Hard Knock series. You and I had a great conversation last week about our favorite sports movies off the air, and then I just felt like the conversation was so great that we should just include it in the episode this week. So we decided to come up with the top five list of our best sports movies. We tried to come to a consensus, we tried to come to an agreement, over this it was hard at times and we had to get rid of some movies and possibly include some movies that maybe I wasn't a big fan of or you weren't a big fan of but let's go with the honorable mentions let's go with a couple of movies that you felt deserved to be in the top 5 but uh, were you know I, I didn't allow you to uh, to include them here, so um, I want to hear it. Uh, who give me a couple of movies that you felt deserved to be that are on the cusp of being in the top five?
0: Well, the first one that comes to mind is uh, Miracle on Ice. I mean, I just thought I just thought it wasn't really. I didn't think they did a great job with the movie and so forth, but I did. I did think I did think it was good that we captured that story. You know that Hollywood captured that story where. Uh, you know, I mean, that was that was a great moment, and you know, sort of American history. I mean, it was obviously you know in the in the wake of the Cold War, and um, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty at that time, and certainly, I mean, there was you know, there was fears, you know, from a diplomatic standpoint or from a geopolitical standpoint and, you know, to kind of see the two countries come together. And I mean, it, it kind of had everything of a regular, you know, you're kind of your Disney sports movie in that, you know, there's the, there's the Russians and, you know, they they just seem unbeatable. You know, they have the greatest, you know, it's like the greatest show on turf in the hockey version of that. I mean, you know, just going against them and, You know, they take a bunch of college hockey players and somehow they won that game. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of true. Any, any team can beat any team. So I was glad that Hollywood captured that story. I thought some of the movies were, some of the moments were a little cheesy, a little fake, a little forced, but um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I thought that was one of the great sort of American uh, sports moments. So yeah, that for me is one. Um, another one is, I, I like the movie Tin Cup, it's a good golf movie, um, you know, just kind of seeing a kind of a scrub, you know, golf pro, and, you know, how he goes out there, and, you know, he, he, he plays in a major tournament, and, you know, he's got a good personality, and, you know, he, he has some, you know, he has some kind of quirks that are kind of funny, and, um, yeah, I, I just thought, I thought I mean, it's a light movie, it's not a movie that's going to change me, but I I thought it was a good movie.
1: I thought that was actually the best Kevin Costner movie of all time. I'm I'm a movie buff, and uh, I felt like that was his best character. Uh, him and Cheech Mirren, and then Don Johnson playing his uh, his enemy. Uh, you know, somebody that he's facing in that last round of the PGA Championship. I, I thought that was a great movie. A head case, uh, washed up, uh, driving range type of guy. That just goes out there, qualifies for one of the biggest events in, in sports history, in golf world, and goes out there. I'm not going to spoil the movie, but it's just, in the end, I mean, he does something that is um, reminiscent of the character that he was throughout the movie. I mean, he was trying to hold himself through the, all the rounds until the final round, and he just, yeah, he, he blew up. But I'm not going to spoil it for for all those people that didn't watch Tin Cup but I do believe it's it's the best Kevin Costner movie that I've seen um, out of all the parts that he's had throughout the years I'm going to mention uh, five movies for me that, that make it into the honorable mention I liked A League of Their Own it's, it's a movie with uh, Gina Davis Tom Hanks playing a baseball coach it's about women forming a league during World War II when the men were out at war, and they were playing it, and I just thought that was, it brought some historical facts into it, and it was just, it was a fun movie, and I love Tom Hanks in this, I mean, he was fun, he was quirky, and um, he showed some comedic sense in this movie, I like the Hoosiers movie, Ed, obviously it's about a coach coming to high school, bringing his own rules, obviously, Basketball is everything in Indiana. That, that's always been the case. And uh, he it's an underdog story. The coach comes in, takes this team, and brings them to a, a championship in Indiana. I thought that was really good. One of my best sports movies, The Natural. Uh, I just thought that Roy Hobbs' character was was amazing. I mean this this washed up guy coming out of nowhere, he's like 35, 36 years old. He was supposed to be this hot shot baseball prospect who got lost in life and he gets a shot with with a baseball team and brings him into the playoffs into the pennant race. And I just thought the music, the the underscore, the the special effects, the the actors playing um, you know, a big-time role there. And I just thought Roy Hobbs is a character that that always uh, had a soft spot for me. I mean, in the end, I mean, he obviously comes through, and uh, I just thought The Natural was deserves to be mentioned in the top five, but gets an honorable mention here. I like The Major League as well. I just thought it was a great movie with... Uh, charlie sheen back in the day playing wild thing tom berenger being this old catcher wesley snipes being a hot shot rookie uh, who's you know stealing bases out there and again an underdog team the, the owner doesn't want them to win he wants them to move but this team comes out of nowhere the team of misfits and and they just they do a lot of good things. I just thought there were a lot of good comedic moments in there. And another movie I'll mention before we get to the top five, Moneyball. But Moneyball to me was a great book. I read it and it just left um, a huge imprint on me. And I was excited about when they brought it to the big screen. I was excited to watch Billy Bean, who was played by Brad Pitt. His philosophy of uh, you know doing things a little bit different differently in the baseball world and a lot of people laughed at him uh, there's some things that get left out of the movie but I just I love the way Giambi leaves Matt you know Johnny Damon leaves and, and they build a team of again kind of misfits guys that nobody wanted Scott Hatterberg playing first base and I just thought it was a great story and they, they kind of explained it in, in a way especially for those people that that didn't read the book I thought the book was a lot better than the movie, but Brad Pitt deservingly was, was named for the for the Oscar, and uh, I thought he had a great performance. What'd you think of Moneyball? I,
0: I, I like the movie. I mean I, I like the idea. It's just I, I just thought that they really kind of missed some important material facts about the story that really would have made it a better story. I mean, the, you know, there was there was there was the whole aspect of uh, you know the fact that the, the Oakland A's, I mean, they made it like look like they had a bunch of scrubs, and they did, you know, on their offensive side of the ball. But I mean, part of the winning formula for that team was, and you know, the A's were never the A's never won a championship in that era. Um, you know, they had great pitching. I mean, they had Tim Hudson and Barry Zito, and I mean, they they just had a, they had a great pitching staff at that point, and uh, they don't talk about that at all. And I, I just th- I just thought that was a material fact that sh- should have been should have been talked about. Um, and, and the other thing is, is I mean, you know, they, they talk a lot about Billy Bean and the irony of you know him and stuff like that. But um, you know, the book the book goes into more of the irony of you know how they used to scout players and how they scout players now. I mean, you know, and even that story has kind of evolved. I mean, nowadays, you know. I mean, there are teams that can literally develop an algorithm for how they want to develop players and how they want to draft players, and Moneyball kind of talked about that, but you know now, now I mean, you know, it, it kind of goes with the contrast of, you know, baseball has always been seen as an art, right? Like, I mean, we'll talk about failed dreams in the future, a little teaser, but you know, that that's definitely a movie that comes from the perspective of baseball as an art. But you know, to to see it kind of a, you know, as a mathematical, you know, clear with clear outcomes. I mean, that's kind of the thing about baseball statistics is like you can almost, it's almost simple math what you can use to calculate things and so you know an algorithm um you know can basically help a team be a great GM and I mean you can't do that you can't do that in football you really can't I mean there's just you can use the analytics but the analytics just you know they are just, just aren't as advanced as as they are as they can be with baseball because baseball has just such simple math you know you either get a single or you don't you get a hit or you don't you get a home run or you don't um so I I I, th- I thought there were some interesting storylines there.
1: Well, let's get into the top five. A little drum roll out here. Let's, uh, let's do this. At number five, you and I agreed that fever pitch. Now, a lot of people would be surprised. Fever pitch. Why did we put this in the top five? But you know, there's, there's a great story behind this movie, and the Fairly brothers were the ones that, that shot this. Drew Barrymore, Jimmy Fallon... Talk about this, Ed. Obviously, this story means a lot to you as a as a Boston Red Sox fan.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I mean, if you've listened to the show, I've kind of teased that I I grew up in Boston, and obviously, I'm a big Steeler fan, and I can talk about sort of why I am. But um, you know, I I, I I did become a Boston Red Sox fan growing up in Boston, and um, you know, I I to be honest with you, what got me to love uh, sports was. Really following the Boston Red Sox. You know, what really got me into sports radio was listening to Wei Radio. Um, you know, I remember sort of summers before I was too, I was too young to. Uh, I was too young to, you know, have a job and so I used to like to kind of hang out and listen to the radio and listen to WEI and just get the scoop and talk about the game and stuff like that. And that that kind of gave me the inspiration to want to get into this. But um yeah, and I loved I loved following the Red Sox, you know, during that era, during the 90s and during the two, the early 2000s and I just remember in 2013 in 2003, I'm sorry, when you know, the Red Sox had a had a loaded team and they went against the Yankees and the Yankees beat them in the playoffs and it was pretty bad and i just i mean i i can think of a few moments in sports where i've just literally like i've been upset about steeler games before but i mean the, this this legitimately i mean this literally made me cry i mean i was you know i was like in middle school but still i mean just 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 the hope around that team and just how they had you know sort of been cursed and had never won a championship and uh, you know, I just remember Boston. I mean, just the just the air, just the you you could just feel it in the air. Just this frustration in Boston when you went to Fenway Park of just like how this team was never gonna win a championship, and then and then in 2014, I mean, how how this team. You know, just you know, they brought in Kurt Schilling, there was the Bloody Sock, there was Pedro, who had a great year, there was you know, that they, they had top end pitching, and then they you know, they started with the bullpen by committee, and then they started to find roles and they brought in Keith Fulk, who, you know, really wasn't really wasn't a he talked to more about how much he loved hockey, but he, he just he had an ability, he had a weird wind up and he just had an ability to close games out for them, so I mean they were able to fix the bullpen by committee that year and you know at the end they you know there was the, there's a story that we've all heard you know where they were down 3 nothing in the series the Yankees and it, it seemed like it was over I mean people were saying it was over I mean I I grew up in Massachusetts during that time and uh you know it it, it, it was all but it it you know it was it was it, pretty much people people had given up and then all of a sudden they just they just came and won that first game and they came back and won, and then there was that Game 7 where Dave Roberts, you know, in the last inning, stole that base um, to tie the game, you know, and he eventually got brought in to tie the game. You know, they played a little small ball, and and, and, and then they got a home run in the end, and, um, you know, for them to beat the Yankees like that, you know, the the big bad rival, um, that was... That, that, that was... If there's a sports story that means more to me than that, I, I can't find it. I mean, that was just, that was that was one of the best sports moments for me. So seeing that movie, Fever Pitch, I mean, it's kind of a romantic comedy and there's that kind of story, but, you know, it just kind of, you just kind of got to relive that and see, you know, a little bit of what, what it was like, you know, for Boston Red Sox fans. I mean, there there is a, there is like a cult following for that team and it was especially big, you know, before they won the World Series.
1: All right, let's go to number four uh, because I mean, well put. Man. I have nothing else to say. I mean, it's just everything that basically uh, that I think I would have talked about. You you mentioned in that um, short segment out there. Let's move on to number four: Field of Dreams, a movie that I wasn't a big fan of. I, I have to admit to our listeners, I I struggled with this. I I realized that a lot of people put it in the top 10, top 5 and, and Ed loves this movie. I mean, he was willing to put it at number 2. I just, I wasn't feeling it quite as much as you but I accepted it and I put it in the top 5 just because, I mean, it was a really good movie. It, it meant something. It had a story and uh, talk about it. I mean, obviously you're you're a big fan of Field of Dreams. I just feel like Kevin Costner he was at his best in ten cup uh, he was he was the lead character in this talk about this movie at number four
0: yeah I, I just thought it was it was a really cool movie and it kind of tied into American history and into in American literature just you know with uh, you know Terence Mann who I mean was loosely based on JD Salinger and um, you know I've, obviously the catcher in the Rye is one of my favorite books Um you know it's a it's an American classic, and uh, you know if you ever have a moment, um, you know it's a it's a good book to read, and just um, just to just to, just to uh, go go back to it. I mean, I just I just love that it romanticized it romanticized baseball, it romanticized what it was um, at the time. I mean, it, as as a baseball fan, it's 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 kind of sad to see what's going on. I mean, it's just, I think we live in a different era now of technology, and, um, you know, just baseball, just baseball isn't fast enough, that's the sad, that's the sad truth about baseball, is it's just, it's not fast enough, it's not, and and, and it's just not what it used to be, it used to be America's pastime, and um, now we need something more exciting, I mean, just in the era of, you know, iPhones and so forth, and smartphones, we, 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 need, we need that constant entertainment, and so, the that, you know, that, that, that's sort of how, how things have changed. But I mean, you know, this was a time when, you know, we, you know, it brought back the great story of the Black Sox and how, uh, you know, they, they were cheated and, you know, shoeless Joe Jackson. And, um, it was just, it was just a lot of rich history and, um, you know, it was kind of a weird story where he goes to find him and, you know, there's sort of a, it's sort of like a, a, a sort of, um, an alternative, um, You know, kind of feel to the movie. You know, where you know he just you know the sort of just primal forces of nature bring him to Boston to meet Terrence Mann, and uh, you know to bring him to Iowa and so forth. And um, yeah, I just I just thought I thought it was great, and I thought it really romanticized the sport of baseball.
1: At number three, we've got Rocky, Uh, probably the greatest boxing movie of all time. You can make a case for Raging Bull, where Robert De Niro plays the character, but I'm going to go with Rocky and the original. Obviously, uh, you know, it it was up for an Oscar. It's about a Philadelphia boxer who's struggling out there. It was what made Sylvester Stallone. It's what put him on the map. I mean, he was a lefty out there. He got his shot against Apollo Creed, and not that Creed that, you know, the the new generation is watching. That was his father, and uh, Apollo versus you know Rocky Balboa. There was just something romantic about it. I mean, an Italian stallion who, who couldn't put uh, put a sentence together. I mean, a guy of a very few words who was just a hard worker who needed a shot. He lost to Apollo at the end, but then there are other movies that followed, like Rocky Two, and then. Rocky 3, and then Rocky 4, and 5, and 6. We could go on and on. There was a whole franchise around it. Rocky was just an underdog story, and I would say the best base, not baseball, best boxing movie um, ever made, in, in my opinion. It was just, I was a kid, and I enjoyed watching it. At number two, Remember the Titans. Uh, Denzel Washington playing the... The head coach, uh, who's trying to bring a, a football team together, uh, obviously we we put it at number two out here. Talk about this movie, Ed?
0: Yeah, I just I just thought I just thought it was a nice story of a you know, a high school football team in an area where that really emphasizes high school football. And, you know, it talked about how, you know, the schools had previously been segregated and then they brought the schools together and they combined, you know, kids who had historically, you know, gone to a black school and now they were going to, uh, you know, a traditionally white school and, um, you know, how they came together. And it was it was um you know, it it was just very authentic, the way, the way they, they built their relationships, and, um, yeah, it was just, it was just really a nice moment, and, um, you know, definitely, definitely, um, something to remember, I mean, especially, you know, you know, from, from a feeling standpoint, I mean, especially, there's a lot of talk in the media about, you know, racial injustice, and police brutality, and so forth, and, um, so I mean I th- I think you know as far as race issues I think this is a nice harmonious um, you know way to way to celebrate you know sort of maybe some of the some of the improvements we've had on a racial front over time I mean I'm not an expert in in sort of racial history and um, you know there there are, there are other critical theorists who. You know, kind of see see the problems as you know worse today, and um, you know I think I think you could go back and forth on the debate, but I mean for, from from my perspective, it seemed it seemed like a nice harmonious way to celebrate, um, you know, the combining of a white school and a black school.
1: Denzel Washington is an excellent actor, and uh, another great performance from him in this movie. And I think a lot more people should watch this movie. How how people come together. And how, you know, they're able to overcome those differences that they once had in the beginning. Definitely something that we need right now in our time. Uh, Number one. Number one, we've got Rudy. The ultimate underdog story about a kid growing up in the mills, you know, a blue-collar town who, who had a dream to play for the Notre Dame Irish. Fantastic story as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I
0: mean that's that's a movie that'll that'll bring you to tears. I mean, just the way he just believes in his story and you know, he gets a he, he, he gets his chance, he does everything he can to, you know, get his chance. I mean he sacrifices everything to basically go and live out his dream and you know, I, I thought the beautiful thing about it is everyone in his life told him that he couldn't do it and he he went to he, you know he went to Notre Dame and he he went to junior college and then you know he 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 said you know he said he was going to play for the team and they they put him on the they put him on the uh the practice squad and you know he showed he showed heart and um you know that's that's what we love in sports i mean to be honest with you you know you think about the favorite players in baseball it's it's the players who played with a lot of heart it's not the players who played with a lot of um, you know you know there, there are some guys with a lot of natural talent, but I mean just just sometimes just the heart of a player and I mean that, that can really make a difference for a team. I mean we you know as sort of as, as draft guys you know we we project a lot of talent and what they are but I mean there is kind of this X factor of just you know how much heart does this guy have you know how much does this guy want it? And so uh, yeah I mean um, you know I I, I, I still I, I, I would never say I'm a Notre Dame fan. But I would say I would say I, I, I respect Notre Dame football, and one of those movies just kind of harmonized the history of Notre Dame football for me.
1: Sean Astin plays the main character, Rudy. Obviously, he's a small guy, and he got a shot. Uh, he transferred to Notre Dame and came there as a walk-on, worked his behind, worked his tail off, and got a chance in the end to, to play in a game and actually was credited with the sack. So... Uh, It's a sappy movie. I mean, at the end, I mean, you just, it's a feel-good story that you just realize that there's no way that you, you can't shed a tear at the end just because of what it meant. And it's a true story as well. So we put Rudy at number one. So... We felt a little bit like uh, Ebert and
0: Roper here, right? <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I'd be that. A little bit. We, we
1: played that role. We usually play, you know, draft experts. We comment about college football and the NFL. We played movie critics here when it comes to sports movies.
0: Yeah, I, I thought this was a fun exercise. And, I mean, you know, if you could email the show, um, you know, about any other ideas we could have. I mean, obviously, this season's going to be a little different for us, so... Um, you know, anything, anything, you know, the fans want to hear, you know, maybe just going a little off script now that we're not, you know, we're going to have a little bit of a, you know, we're not going to have the full college football season that we're used to.
1: All right, let's get to our original exercise that we came here to do during this episode. We decided to focus on the 2014 NFL draft. We decided to do a redraft, uh, just basically going back and and basically having a redo of which players will we would draft now. We would keep the original selections. Uh, we, we will go through the entire first round. And uh, let's start with number one. You've got the, the Houston Texans on the clock, and their original selection was Jadavian Clowney from South Carolina. So who is your pick at number one?
0: Well, there's a lot of talent in this draft. I just want to say, um, you know, if you look at if you look at my big board, you'd be like, holy, you know, you're gonna see that there's a lot of great players on this on this big board. So, but the number one here is gonna be Aaron Donald. Um, you know, he's a he's a defensive tackle. He might move to the three four defensive end position. Uh, he's had a dominant career. He has 72 sacks in his six year career. I mean, this is an interior defender and he's got 72 sacks. Um, you know, he 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 could just very well could be the best player in football.
1: Yeah, he's certainly the best defensive player in the football. I mean, he's won the defensive player of the year two times in a row. It's amazing. Yet yeah? I mean, this guy dominated at Pitt. Uh he dominated the senior bowl. He ran a 468 at the combine. Yet he still slipped to the 13th overall selection to the rams. Um definitely I I can't argue that. Aaron Donald is the number 1 player and he the Houston can you imagine the Houston Texans having JJ Watt and Aaron Donald? Can you imagine the impact that these two guys would have on that defense? They wouldn't need anyone else. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean that that would be quite a pass rush. That would be a scary pass rush to go against. I mean, imagine if they played a three-four and you had both of those guys rushing from the edges. I mean, you just you just couldn't plan for that. I mean, I know, I know there are certain NFL teams that you know when they play when they play the Rams, they'll they'll move their, You know, if they have a good right tackle, and you know they they'll move him to left guard so he can face uh, if he can face Aaron Donald. You know, that's just how he changes the defense and how he changes an offense. Um, offensive line. So, I mean, Aaron Donald is best best player in the NFL, in my opinion.
1: Number two, we've got the St. Louis Rams. That's right, St. Louis in this case. Now they're the Los Angeles Rams. Their yeah. original selection was Greg Robinson, offensive tackle from Auburn. He was supposed to be their left tackle of the future. Certainly, that didn't turn out well for them. Um, so. St. Louis Rams should definitely take Khalil Mack. Since they miss out on Aaron Donald, Khalil Mack, in my opinion, is the best player after Aaron Donald. He's the NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 2016, selected to five straight Pro Bowls. Raiders got two first-round picks for him. Obviously, he played for the Raiders, and then he got traded to the Chicago Bears. This guy is dominant, and you know he he would look great in that three four defense as as an edge rusher. So Khalil Mack at number two for me. Uh, number three, Jacksonville Jaguars. Their original selection was Blake Bortles, quarterback from UCF.
0: Yeah, and I mean that that pick ended up being kind of a bust. But you know who I think I think would be would be a fit actually at number three. I mean he probably would have been thought of as a small school guy, and they probably would have questioned it but i think i think the right guy to change, take in this scenario would be jimmy Garoppolo. i think he would yeah i think he would have fixed their quarterback problems long term
1: all right so you decided to go with the quarterback here you decided to stick to the original you know it's amazing jimmy wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for that super bowl run that he had with the 49ers last year right i mean he kind of resurrected his career he was the backup to tom brady got traded to the niners Obviously, uh, you know, got hurt. We never got a chance to see him, and uh, he showed what he can do last year. So you decided to stick with the original selection. You decided to go with the quarterback.
0: Yeah, I, I think they needed a quarterback here. And you think about the Jacksonville Jaguars and how they, how they, they've really needed to find. A, I mean, they've they've been searching and searching, and I guess they might have found a guy in Gardner Man- Minshew. But I even have some questions about Gardner Minshew, and that was years later. So. Um, Yeah, I I think Jimmy Garoppolo would have made a big impact on this organization.
1: All right, number four. Uh, We've got the Buffalo Bills, and the Buffalo Bills' original selection was Sammy Watkins, a wide receiver from Clemson. Well, there's a wide receiver sitting on the board here, and I have to go with him. I I just feel like the the Buffalo Bills missed. This is the 2014 NFL draft will always be remembered as – Possibly, arguably, the greatest wide receiver group of all time. I would say the 1996 wide receiver class was great, but I think the 2014 group tops that. We'll see what the 2020 group brings us, but uh, we'll find out in a few years. But this group is excellent when you look at the wide receiver talent and what these guys are doing right now in the NFL. So the Buffalo Bills will get Mike Evans for me. Mike Evans in his 6 years has averaged 77 receptions for over 1000 yards. I mean, this guy has been a dominant wide receiver and it's amazing. I mean, he played second fiddle to Johnny Manziel coming out of Texas A&M. He was Johnny Manziel's favorite target. He came out as a redshirt sophomore and he has been unstoppable. I mean, arguably the best jump ball wide receiver out there he's got a huge catching radius and i would say the so far the most consistent wide receiver out of this group at number five we've got the oakland raiders that's right the oakland raiders for for now they obviously moved to las vegas but uh for the sake of this 2014 draft the raiders are on the clock and their original selection was khalil Mack. Edge rusher out of Buffalo. Obviously, he's off the board now because he went much earlier in our mock draft.
0: Yeah, so I, I think I might surprise you a little bit, but there was a guy who had 19 sacks in 2019, and uh, that was his first year with the Bucks. And so I'm actually going to go with Shaquille Barrett um, from uh, he was he was from Colorado State at the time, and uh, you know I th- I think this would be the appropriate pick for the Oakland Raiders. I mean, they went with an edge rusher, and so. Um, You know, they probably get a downgrade because uh, Khalil Mack is off the board. But I'm going to put Shaquille Barrett here.
1: All right. So, I mean, he went undrafted in that draft, right? Yeah, he
0: did. And and he was a backup for a few years with the Broncos. He was was signed as an undrafted free agent, and he was a good backup. And then he finally got a starting gig with the Tampa Bay Bucs, and he exploded for 19 sacks. So, um, yeah, I like the Shaquille Barrett pick right here.
1: All right, number six, we've got the Atlanta Falcons. And the original selection was Jake Matthews, uh, offensive tackle from Texas A&M. And that's a tempting selection. It, it really is. But I'm going to go, and I want to give him a wide receiver as well, but they had Julio Jones already. So I'm going to go with Zach Martin. And I, I just feel like he's the best offensive lineman um, at, in, out of this draft. And even though he doesn't play left tackle, he's a guard. He's been an excellent guard. He's been to six Pro Bowl teams. He's been to six All-Pro teams for the Dallas Cowboys. And I would say this, this would make the most sense for me. Protect Matt Ryan. Even though you don't get a left tackle, you get a, a stud guard. One of the best offensive linemen in the game today. At number seven, the, the Tampa Bay Bucks' original selection was Mike Evans. Wide receiver out of Texas A&M. Obviously, he went to the Bills. I uh, he went to the Buffalo Bills at number four in our redraft out here. So, who is your selection at seven?
0: I'm actually going to go with a guy uh, more of a more of a you know in the dirt defensive end. Um, I'm going to go with Demarcus Lawrence here.
1: All right. So we're uh, going away from the offensive side. You felt like Demarcus Lawrence would have made the difference there for the Bucks defense.
0: Yeah, I mean, I love me my edge rushers. I mean, if you're going to get a if you're not going to get a quarterback, get an edge rusher. That's my draft philosophy.
1: Thirty nine sacks, two time Pro Bowler. I mean, coming out of Boise State, uh, certainly a guy that that's a top ten player in my book. At number eight, we've got the Cleveland Browns, and the Cleveland Browns whiffed on this pick. It was Justin Gilbert, corner out of Oklahoma State. That certainly hasn't worked out. I mean, this guy has tried to catch on with a few NFL teams. It just hasn't worked. It hasn't. I want to give him a quarterback, but not here. I'm going to give him a quarterback, possibly at 22, if, if we have the right one. Um, so, how about a wide receiver? How about a wide receiver here? Again, it's, it's a great, it's a rich draft when it comes to wide receivers. So i'm gonna go with obj here i'm gonna go with odell beckham um he's an athletic specimen five one thousand yard seasons in six years offensive rookie of the year three-time pro bowler i realize he's a bit brash most wide receivers are prima donnas if this guy is healthy he is one of the best receivers in the game and i think he's gonna bounce back this year Uh, with the Cleveland Browns and that new offensive scheme. At number 9, we've got Mike Zimmer and the Minnesota Vikings. Their original selection was Anthony Barr, a linebacker out of UCLA.
0: You know what? I know this is going to ruffle some feathers, but I might actually say that the Anthony Barr pick was a good pick here, and so I'm actually going to go with Anthony Barr again.
1: And why not? I mean, I think Anthony Barr gets... um gets a bad rap for some reason. I I really don't get it, uh, to be honest with you. He's played in a 4-3 defense in the NFL. Maybe a 3-4 defense would have suited him better. But he's a very versatile linebacker. He's been a four-time Pro Bowler in his six years. So I respect that. I think it's a good pick. and If I had the pick, I would have done the same thing, I think. At number 10, we've got the Detroit Lions. This is a tough one. Their original selection was Eric Ebron, a uh, tight end out of North Carolina. I'm not going to go in that direction, to to be honest with you. I think I'm going to go with Taylor Luan. Uh, at that time, during the 2014 um, uh, season, they had Riley Reef being the left tackle. I just don't think Reef is... He's an average left tackle at best. I think Reef would have been better suited playing right tackle or even guard, something I think he'll play this year. So I'm going to give him Taylor Luan, three-time pro bowler, a very nasty, very physical offensive lineman. He's been a fixture on the left side for, for the Tennessee Titans. So that that's my selection at 10. At number 11, we've got the Tennessee Titans. I stole Taylor Luan away from him, who was... The original selection out of Michigan. So, who's your selection here?
0: You know, I'm actually going to go with uh, Jadavian Clowney here. Um, you know, Jadavian Clowney was a freak of an athlete, and you know, just maybe if he had gone to maybe a different team, uh, you know, a team like the Tennessee Titans, I mean, maybe his career would have lived up to what his draft billing was. But you know, he still has had a great career. The only thing that kind of worries me is he only had three and three sacks in 2019. But I'm looking for him to get his career back on track. So I'm going to go with Jadavian Clowney here.
1: Well, he's made the Pro Bowl three times. I mean, he has some durability concerns, but he's a very good run defender. Maybe he hasn't turned out to be the, the feared pass rusher that everybody talked about when he was coming out of college, but um, he has turned out to be a, a good player. And by the way, he's still on sign to this day. It's amazing. I thought somebody was going to give him a try. At number 12, we've got, who do we have? We've got the New York Giants. And the original selection there was Odell Beckham, a wide receiver out of LSU. I mean, that was that was the selection there. Um, so a couple of wide receivers have slipped, in my opinion. So I'm going to give him Devontae Adams. I think Devontae Adams has come on the last four years of his career. He was selected to the last three three Pro Bowls. He's been Aaron Rodgers' favorite target. Devontae Adams is a very, I would say, still not talked about as like a top five receiver, and he should be. He's a great route runner. So I'm, I'm going to give him Devontae Adams here at number 12, and Eli, Eli Manning gets another weapon. At number 13, we've got the St. Louis Rams again on the clock. Their original selection was Aaron Donald defensive lineman from Pitt he obviously went number one uh to the Houston Texans so we can't double down on Aaron Donald here so who is your pick here at number 13 Ed
0: well I'm gonna go with my guy uh Stefan Tuitt uh 3-4 defensive end I think he can kind of play the same role that Aaron Donald will play definitely won't be Aaron Donald but hey they're picking at 13 in a redraft so I'm gonna give him Stefan Tuitt here
1: all right, I thought maybe you were going to save it here for, for selfish reasons. You were going to give St. Louis somebody else, and then you were going to get to it to, to the Steelers at 15. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought you, you were going to stick to the original selection, as they say. But obviously, that, that didn't happen here. Uh, number 14, the Chicago Bears went with Kyle Fowler, cornerback out of Virginia Tech. And a corner is tempting. I think Kyle Fowler has been a really good player. Honestly, I mean he has, and and we can justify you know picking him here. But I'm gonna go with C.J. Mosley. I'm gonna go with the linebacker who's been a fixture uh, with uh, with the Ravens, and now obviously he is he's out there with with the Jets trying to make it. I mean he's a four-time Pro Bowler. He's he four times he's been named to the old pro team. He was a leader with the Ravens and. I think he would fit that that Chicago Bears defense. I think C.J. Mosley can play in, in a number of schemes out there, and so I decided to go with C.J. Mosley out of Alabama. At 15, Ed, it's your Pittsburgh Steelers who uh, who selected Ryan Shazier, a linebacker out of Ohio State. He was a really good player. I mean, he was coming on after struggling during his rookie season. Unfortunately, that injury occurred, and then, We'll never see Ryan Chase here again in an NFL uniform, and it's a shame because I, I think the way he was ascending out there, he would have been a top ten player in this draft. So you're gonna have to find somebody else here. Who who is your pick? Well, you
0: know, this was this was in the heart of when the Steelers were really into def- you know drafting defenders, and you know, um, you know they were kind of in the middle of you know drafting Dupree and all that, and. Uh, TJ, they hadn't drafted TJ Watt yet, so I'm actually going to go with D Ford here. Um, I think I think D Ford would have had a very good career with the Pittsburgh Steelers.
1: Well, it took him a while to to have that breakout year with the Chiefs, and he finally did because he was a he was a backup linebacker. But this looks like a Steelers pick. It really is. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens, no, not the Baltimore Ravens. I apologize. It's number sixteen. The dallas cowboys they went with zach martin an offensive offensive lineman who became a guard for them out of notre dame it's this kind of interesting out here who who am i going to go with the cowboys here who has slipped possibly i'm going to go with kyle Fowler. i just think the cowboys at that time needed help in the secondary and they needed help at corner and uh, kyle fuller uh, he made the pro bowl two times in his career He has accumulated 18 picks um, during his six-year career. He tied for the lead in interceptions in 2018. So I'm going to give him the cornerback out of Virginia Tech. At number 17, we've got the the nemesis to the Pittsburgh Steelers all of these years, the Baltimore Ravens. They originally selected C.J. Mosley, linebacker out of Alabama. Who is your selection here, Ed?
0: I think I'm gonna surprise you a little bit with this pick, but I think this is a guy who's had a very good career with the Patriots, and you know could continue that with the Dolphins. Um, I'm gonna go with Kyle Van Noy here. Um, I like this pick for the Ravens because I think they love to build up their front four. Um, I mean their front seven, and I think he could be an edge rusher for them. Um, they love their edge rushers, so I'm gonna go with Kyle Van Noy here.
1: I think it's a good pick. Uh, it's not a surprise. I mean, the the last three seasons with the play uh, with the Patriots, he's become a good player, and uh, very underrated player who is come into his own. And it's no surprise that the Dolphins signed him because they're very familiar with him. Uh, number eighteen, we've got the New York Jets who whiffed on Calvin Pryor, uh, the safety out of Louisville, who was supposed to be this ferocious hitter. And he was supposed to be all of this and all of that. That just, it didn't happen for them. And you know, to be honest with you, I'm going, I'm going, like I'm, I'm looking, I'm thinking maybe a wide receiver. I'm going to give him Jarvis Landry. I'm going to give him a wide receiver that, that was drafted much later. Um, who has become a very good player for the Dolphins and for the Browns. I realize he's a slot receiver, but a very underappreciated guy, especially on third downs. He arguably has the best hands in the NFL. He's a good route runner, and he creates separation and gets open. He is quarterback's best friend. So I'm going to give him a wide receiver and go in a different direction here. Instead of a defensive player, I'll go with Landry here at number 18. At number nineteen, we've got the Miami Dolphins. Jawan James was the pick, offensive tackle out of Tennessee.
0: You know, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give him a receiver here. I mean, I think it would have been really nice for this offense to have to have just kind of a stable receiver over the years. Um, this is a guy who's bounced around. I think he, I think the Dolphins would have been a little bit more loyal to him than the other teams that had him. So I'm gonna go with Brandon Cooks from uh, Oregon State
1: yeah another guy that that has changed teams quite frequently but uh a guy that can stretch the field he has gained over a thousand receiving yards in four out of the six seasons i I realize he's on his fourth team now he's been with the saints the patriots the rams now he's with the texans but uh, i do believe that the dolphins were always in need of Of more playmakers you know there was one guy that's still on the board that hasn't been mentioned i'm kind of surprised he didn't go here jake matthews yeah uh left tackle i mean that that would have made sense out here to the miami dolphins
0: i mean i think i think he'll go in this draft but i'm not i'm not i mean jake matthews has been durable but i don't think he's particularly special offensive lineman I mean, they
1: were... All right. Uh, but... All right. I mean, he will go in the first round. Let's mention that. But it would have made sense. I mean, he, he's been a stable out there for the for the Atlanta Falcons. At number 20, we've got the New Orleans Saints. Right? And the original selection was Brandon Cooks, wide receiver out of Oregon State. He would have been the pick here for me. But... Ed... Went with him with the Miami Dolphins a selection earlier. I'll give him another wide receiver. Again, this is a rich draft. I'm repeating myself, but it's a rich draft when it comes to wide receivers. I'll go with Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson has has balanced around, but he would have been a nice selection here with the Saints. Uh, he's a big target. He's played with Bortles. He's played with Trubisky, and he has still produced. He has come back from that injury, so I would have chosen the, the wide receiver out of Penn State here. They like to draft offensive players. I mean, Sean Payton would have known what, what to do with him here. He likes big receivers. I mean, we've seen how Michael Thomas has, has prospered in this offense. At number 21, we've got the Green Bay Packers. Their original selection was HaHa Clinton Dix, a safety out of Alabama.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to stick with ha-ha Clinton-Dix. I mean, they weren't able to sign him to a second long-term deal. But I I, I thought ha-ha Clinton-Dix had a good career with the Packers.
1: All right, number 22, we've got the Cleveland Browns. They whiffed on Johnny Manziel, quarterback out of Heisman Trophy quarterback out of Texas a and a guy that was supposed to, to change Cleveland football. That certainly didn't happen. He was out of the NFL in, in two years. He's balanced around. He hasn't found success anywhere, even in the CFL. But I will give him a quarterback here, Ed. Since he went with Jimmy G at number three to the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'll give him Derek Carr. I'm not sure how Derek Carr would do here because the Cleveland Browns, obviously they play in Ohio, it's cold weather. It's no secret that Derek Carr has struggled in cold weather games. Um, And he has struggled in in the win and losses department. But he's been an underappreciated quarterback. He's put up the numbers. He's put up some good numbers. And he's been more consistent under John Gruden the last two years, especially in the accuracy department. His accuracy has risen. And I'm sure the Raiders are hoping that Derek Carr can can take John Gruden to the promised land. So I'll go with Derek Carr here at 22 to replace uh, Johnny Manziel at number 23. Kansas City Chiefs originally drafted D Ford, defensive end from Auburn.
0: You know, I'm actually I actually think a pick a pick that could have helped them a lot. Um, you know, I, I know they eventually got uh, you know Tyron Matthew, but um, I th- I think a nice fit for this team would be uh, Adrian Phillips. Um, from Kentucky, who uh, ended up having a pretty good career with the Chargers.
1: Okay. All right. So you decided to go here uh, with, with that selection. At number 24, we've got the Cincinnati Bengals. They went with the corner Darquise Denard um, out of Michigan State. That looked like a, a solid selection, but uh, certainly didn't didn't turn out well. We've got some offensive linemen out here, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Jake Matthews here. I'm gonna end this run. I just feel like the Bengals. They always try to go with the best player available. It seems like our, under Marvin Lewis, they always try to to go with a secondary player. But I'll give them an offensive line to to stabilize an offensive lineman to stabilize that that line up front. Whether Jake Matthews, I think Jake Matthews can play left tackle, he can play right tackle. He has been a staple uh, for the Atlanta Falcons at left tackle, protecting that blind side for, for Matt Ryan. So that will be my selection here. At number 25, we've got the San Diego Chargers, not the Los Angeles Chargers, San Diego Chargers, who went with Jason Verrett, a cornerback out of TCU. If it wasn't for injuries, he would have been a good player, but... Certainly he is he's missed a ton of time there. So who's your selection here, Ed?
0: You know I, I actually like a guy like uh, like um, Jimmy Ward um, from uh, Northern Illinois. I mean Jimmy Ward's had a good career with the 49ers.
1: Jimmy Ward has his bounced back a little bit. I wouldn't necessarily and I'm a little bit critical here just because I mean I know Jimmy Ward. I'm not sure he's worthy of a first-round selection. This is where he originally went. He went 30th overall to the 49ers. I think he has bounced back. He's become a better player than what he was earlier on, but it wouldn't have been my selection here. But I I realize that he could play a number of spots out here. Uh, At number 26, the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, they went with Marcus Smith, uh, edge rusher out of Louisville. That was a total whiff. I want to give him an edge rusher, but you know what? Philadelphia Eagles love drafting offensive linemen in the first round. And there's just plenty of best players available here on my mock board. I'll give him Joel Bitonio. I just feel like this guy, he's been a fixture at offensive guard for the Cleveland Browns. And I think I would have actually chosen him much higher here. He, he was... Considered an underrated offensive tackle coming out of college. He dealt with injuries the first two years, but he has settled in at left guard. He's made the Pro Bowl the last two years. He was originally drafted in the second round, but I like the Joel Betonio pick out here. Uh, it's, it's a run on offensive linemen for me, Ed. So I'll, I'll go with an offensive lineman here again for the Philadelphia Eagles. At 27, Arizona Cardinals tried to experiment with Dion Buchanan a linebacker slash safety out of Washington State. That certainly didn't amount to much. So who's who's your pick here?
0: I actually kind of like the idea of going with Kevin Pierre-Lewis. I think he's had a good career. Um, he's bounced around with a bunch of teams, but I think he's been good with the teams he's been with.
1: All right, at 28, we've got the Carolina Panthers on the clock. Kelvin Benjamin, a wide receiver out of Florida State. He actually had a pretty... He had a couple of good years out there, but the drops haunted him. He couldn't stay in shape. I mean, his conditioning was a problem. I want to go with the wide receiver, but all the wide receivers are off the board. So I'm going to give him a pick that they... They drafted this player much later in this draft. I'm going to give him Trey Turner. I just think Trey Turner is another offensive lineman. Again, a run on offensive lineman continues. And... Um, I'm surprised he actually lasted this long. He's a great offensive guard in the league. He's been a five-time Pro Bowl player. Uh, Trey Turner uh, just signed with with the Chargers, but he was originally with the Carolina Panthers, so that would be my selection here at 28. Uh, Offensive lineman out of LSU. At 29, New England Patriots. uh, They drafted Dominique Easley, defensive tackle out of Florida. Yeah, Bill Belichick wasn't wasn't too great with that selection. So who is who is your selection here, Ed?
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember I remember Patriots fans kind of bragging about, oh, this is going to be such a Belichick pick. He's going to get healthy and he's going to be a star. But it uh, never turned around. Um, I, I'm actually, I, you know, I I think the I think the Patriots have always emphasized free safeties. I think I think the safety play is important to them. So I think a guy like Lamarcus Joyner would be a great pick here.
1: Lamarcus Joyner, I like it. I like it. I think this player has uh, is a very underrated guy. Just He signed with the Raiders, but played an integral part of that Rams defense. Played that nickel spot, then he moved them to safety. I just think Bill Belichick would know what to do uh, with this player. San Francisco 49ers. Um, Jimmy Ward was the original selection at 30, a safety out of Northern Illinois. Jeez, I'm kind of debating here what what to do, what to do. Maybe to go with an offensive lineman again or to to shore up an offensive line or go with the corner. Um, You know, I'm going to go with an offensive lineman. I just, I feel like, you know, I've been doing this run. I've been defending these offensive linemen here in the first round and I'll continue this. Uh, I'm going to go with Gabe Jackson, an offensive guard. Uh, who played uh, who's played for the Oakland Raiders. He's been, I would say the best interior offensive lineman in the AFC West. I think he's taken his game to another level under John Gruden. And uh, Gabe Jackson would be the selection here for my uh, 49ers at 30. At 31, we've got the Denver Broncos and they went their original selection was Bradley Roby, a cornerback out of Ohio State.
0: You know, I thought Bradley Roby did good as a number two corner behind Chris Harris. So I'm actually going to go with Bradley Roby again. I know he didn't, you know, they they didn't sign him to a second contract. But um, I, I I thought Bradley Roby, you know, did what he was supposed to do, especially being the 31st pick.
1: All right, number 32, selection. It's the last selection. Of this draft at number 32, we've got the Minnesota Vikings who originally traded up to get Teddy Bridgewater, quarterback out of Louisville. I'm tempted to go with the quarterback here, I really am, and I think Teddy B is going to bounce back. I think he'll have a good career with the Carolina Panthers, and he's got Joe Brady's offensive scheme to work with, and I think it's going to be fun, and maybe one. We'll revisit this selection a few years from now. Maybe Teddy B makes it into our first round, but I'm gonna go with the defensive player. Um, I just think uh, you know Mike Zimmer loves defensive players. He loves drafting linebackers, and I realize that they drafted Anthony Barr already to be their strong side linebacker. I'm gonna go with Telvin Smith. Uh, Telvin Smith had a fantastic. Career before he abruptly retired, and that that was probably hard to take because, uh, you know, he was just he was a versatile defender uh, during his five seasons. I mean, he had over a hundred plus tackles, and he had five hundred and eighty-six total tackles and nine picks. He was a leader of that Jaguars defense, but he walked away from the game. But I would still say that he should be included in the first round mock. Because Telvin Smith just was fantastic uh, during that that brief stint that he's had, and I don't think he's coming back. But I'm going to give him a linebacker out of Florida State. Um, he goes here with the last pick at number 32 to the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, guys, it was it was a long show, and Ed and I experimented here to to do the mock draft to do the 2014 redraft. I hope you enjoyed it because I think we'll do a few more of these during the season. I hope you liked it. So this was another episode of Blitzgas. Thank you for listening. Take care.